I usually do a, an intro separately. So you you aren't gonna intro me to me. I, I usually don't, but I will because this is a very <laughs> special episode of Gaucho Amigos. All right, all right. So so go ahead. Oh, you want me to intro? You want me to give you the intro treatment? I see where you're going. Okay. No, no, I don't. I, I don't want anything. I'm just trying to live. Just get. Just leave. Well, me here's out. what I'm gonna forget things because you're you're so accomplished. You've done so many things, and especially many things that are at least somewhat connected to the Steely Dan uh, universe, right? Because you wrote the Pitchfork review of Royal Scam. Mm. You are the singer songwriter of the band uh, Office Culture. Uh, which has garnered comparisons to Steely Dan. Uh-huh. Is that that's, so far so so far so good, right? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. I think I li- yeah I like the thing I wrote. I wrote got to write something about Asia for Spent when I worked at Spin, which involved more. I think even more research. I learned a lot about the band that I didn't know. Like the most I didn't know about the band through doing that because I was really reading every old interview and 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 kind of uh reviews like just like reception i don't know reading old rock criticism is really revelatory all the time for it you know it was always bad that's what you learn the rock, uh, yeah. rock criticism has never been good you don't think so no do you think it's evolved in a better way or not really um i think Wow, this is a deep thing to jump off. <laughs> I no, I think that I think that it's nice that um, like more d- different styles of music are are covered and and that like certain arbitrary canons that were invented by people at this very time by these writers I'm talking about like that that's right. been kind of exploded and busted up, especially in regards to a band like Steely Dan, who so much of their music was influenced by black styles that weren't covered seriously, you know. Um, like their canon was not represented right. by the publications that were covering them to some degree. So, um, yeah. Why are we talking about this? Anyway, that's another Steely Dan <laughs> thing I did. Okay, so you did the yeah. So, um, right, Royal Scam Asia, Office Culture. Really, the the connection here is 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 a personal one. Is a is a. It is. I mean. This, I mean, I've I've shared the story on the podcast yeah, right. like many times, and I also so, talked about it in the Rolling Stone article. <laughs> right, like, right, right, right. You have been a huge part of my uh, Steely Dan journey. I mean, of anyone, you're probably the the key player in it all because you were the one who kind of got me into them. You remember, yeah, you remember more of like the conversations than I do. I remember, but I, I mean, I remember my first experience with Steely Dan from that time, and like being really enthusiastic and kind of um yeah i mean katie lied it was katie lied <laughs> katie lied yeah well this, this is what i remember and then you can correct me or yeah i don't so, want to bore the listeners i don't no, want no, to be redundant they want to hear this yeah. or if they don't too bad because that's what they're getting <laughs> so, i remember in um in college you were already a steely dan fan like when you were a freshman in college uh right i so, think you were so, a sophomore 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 year i i was right. acquainted i was like receptive because i played the keyboard and sang but i wasn't really like like i was i was like on board to be more into them than right. i was but it took me a while to but you were the first person there. i had ever met that was like uh our age you know even though i, I guess i was 
so I was a senior, you were a sophomore and you know, you already had pretty sophisticated music taste at, even at that age. You did. Cause I remember you were yeah, already the boy, t- the boy least likely <laughs> man, man. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, you did. I mean, you turned me on to like Scott Walker. I remember around that time. Like I, when you said you liked Steely Dan, it confused me because I associated you as someone who has very sophisticated music taste. And at that time, you didn't realize I did not realize the ultimate sophisticated. uh, Exactly. So, so I, yeah, I had already made up my mind about what Steely Dan was, what they represented and sophistication was not that at all. I thought Mm -hmm. they were just some boomer band. Right. And I had only heard the three songs that get played on classic rock and that's it. But you said, what was it? Was it Bad Sneakers? Was your Bad Sneakers? Yeah, you were like the song is great. I love Steely Dan. They're yeah, like, you liked them. No, because I remember you were really talking about how much you loved them as a band, not just yeah. the one song. Yeah, but that there was this way in which it's kind of just a weird band to have like a one song thing with for a <laughs> while. I I liked like Doctor. I liked the hits from that album, but I was yeah. really like very focused on that album. Um, for a long time and specifically bad sneakers um do you remember how you found the song or no like specifically yes. well our friend as, as with it as with a lot of like classic was- and like the first smooth music i got into uh this all came from like the treasure trove of knowledge of our mutual friend and my high school friend and bandmate of many years tim good who is uh, just had like grew up with this encyclopedic knowledge of kind of classic rock, but like of of all so it wasn't mm-hmm. there was no it would extend all the way to like your Boss Gags and your Toto and stuff. It wasn't like the kind of like classic albums. But it was like he knew random radio sync. Like he was into like Level Forty Two. He was into all this shit. That he still like, is. He st- I mean, he still get, not past tense. No, he's still sending me stuff. I mean, I, I got to know about all these yeah. bands. Uh, a lot through just hanging out at his house like yeah. when I was at the around the same time was getting into like boss gag songs and I feel like the doobie the doobies thing was a bit later for me but there were just there were just songs that would stand out and bad sneakers was like a gateway song for me in in a, in a big way in my life yeah and I still rate Katie Lied very high yeah well it's become like among my very very favorite Steely Dan albums yeah, I like, still think it's it's kind of like they're station to station. It's like it's like got the best of all these. It's like a little bit of everything. It's yeah. like a perfect transition to uh, you know the rest. Yeah, yeah, it is. But it's also and, and this is something I've I've always felt with their albums is each one is completely unique from one another in their own way, which they never repeated themselves in terms of the albums. Yeah. themselves. I mm-hmm. mean, you can draw lines between tracks, but even the albums have a shape to them that I feel like each one is pretty distinctive. Yeah. That's where it kind of that one felt like, where it got real cinematic. Like that one yeah. where it, like in the sense that I felt like that song and like Dr. Wu and like there was like a world there it was it, that's what that 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 helped me get into it because mm-hmm. it was like cuz I liked Randy Newman. Randy Newman was like one of my first loves, which is why I'm strange guy um (laughs) but like there's a there's a also a through line there like a song like dr Wu is like kind of randy newman-esque for instance like or bad sneakers or everyone's gone to the movies especially so many right yeah yeah. i mean there there are many 
like, and I think that's why Katie lied and Royal Scam, which is what, you know, why those are like Gaucho, Royal Scam, and Katie lied are my like top three. It's because um, of some of those that connective tissue, whatever, with my taste and. Which are not the ones that you necessarily first gravitate towards if you're getting into Steely Dan. And I feel like that's something that you've always been really helpful with as a, someone I've bonded over music is you always kind of point me into the more interesting directions of like a band's discography. Yeah, I've, it's interesting to mention Station to Station too because like yeah. that was when I... It wasn't through like Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust that I like began to like love Bowie as like an artist that I wanted to check out on like a very deep level. It was through that I had to like go, like the like ones I remember really unlocking stages in Bowie for me were like Station to Station and Lodger, right, which are like not <laughs> the expected. Right. But most artists that I come to love, it's like that. Yeah. And uh, just when. Or like I remember Van Dyke Parks, you were the person because I was like, "Oh, Song Cycle's great," and then you're like, "No, man, like Clang of the Yankee Reaper." And well, I was like, well, what is Song it? Cycle is the best. That that's a different. It is, but I would Clang, but Clang, the song Clang of the Yankee Reaper. You know, yeah, everyone should hear that. But but see, here's the thing: is I probably would have never even listened to that album if you hadn't said it. And then like, you learn a lot more about who Van Dyke Parks is, kind of as an artist, and it informs the music of his that you already know. So you can kind of, you listen to Clang of the Yankee Reaper and then it might affect how you hear something like Song Cycle or like Discover America or like one of his yeah. better known albums. Right? I learned that, yeah, I feel like I learned that way of, it's like a real, my dad and Tim and people that I talked to a lot about music growing up were very like discography <laughs> focused like that or like excited about these little corners of things. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, getting invested in that way allows you to approach an artist on their own terms more, which is like more fun. And I think just a more interesting way of listening to music is like, when I like getting into an artist and like liking a bad album, you know, like finding the things <laughs> to like about it. And the person who has really furthered me on this way of being is, uh, my friend Sam Sadomsky. And, uh, I think he is a, as a writer, uh, he does a really good job of writing about artists with a lot of generosity and being really into like covering older artists later work seriously or yeah riding for strange albums by people yeah and that for me that's also been part of the fun of diving deeper into the Steely Dan universe is like there's this whole second life starting in you know the 90s when they when you get into these weird albums like Comic Curiot yeah. and Circus Money, and I'm I'm on this podcast <laughs> only to talk about Morph. By the way, so let's get, to, let's get to that. The Morph Cast. Uh, I'm I'm down for a Morph Cast whenever you're ready. Uh, I love the Cat Cast for later for this podcast that Sam and my friend Andy and I did. Um, Morph the Cat was one that I. Because I've always It's been this way where I, Like I want to understand Really get into more <laughs> Yeah I can't say that I, I have
what I'm trying to remember is is when my kind of priorities shifted. At some point, I just really committed to like gauchos. I just got obsessed with gaucho for several years, I think. And I had periods when gaucho and like Royal Scam would, those two specifically like defined my um, life kind of musically for a little while. What about those two, you think? I mean, those, and it's interesting you say that because those kind of, to your point about like rock criticism, those were the two that didn't get nearly the praise or attention of Asia or mm-hmm. some of, you know, some of the early ones. Yeah. So what led you there? I I mean, this is, I guess this, I don't feel like my, I feel like, yeah, a lot of people have talked about a lot of people, the people who have written about my music or talk about it tend to talk about Steely Dan. And so I, which is not, they, I actually don't feel like it's very, um, influenced by them at all anymore. In fact, and, um, it kind of as a Steely Dan fan, I feel like a bit almost offended by some of this <laughs> comparisons because it feels like it's just about having a certain type of, any kind of jazz influence whatsoever, anything that's kind of like, well, I feel like sound they've become an umbrella aesthetic. term yes. for like any jazz inflected pop or rock music. Right. And, uh, all, and my songs are kind of so like very sincere. There's humor to them, but they're very, like, they're very not, they're very personal and they're very like, um, often sad and, 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 and just not, not creating a world in the way that silly dance songs do or not coming from that perspective or intention. But do you do kind of like narrator songs? Not not at all. I mean, it's not really your thing, right? It's weird because of the Randy Newman thing and the Steely Dan thing, because they were so big for me. But I think, yeah, I think that their musical, those two albums really did influence me some years ago. And the reason I think is, gaucho being kind of like the thing that i took the most from them is how they make complicated things feel simple and sound simple and i still it's still something that but that applies to all sorts of kind of like soul music and jazz and like you know um it, it it's that's not specific to them but gaucho is the one where they were just really trying to maintain these grooves and relating to disco and stuff and experimenting with drum machines and really wanting to keep this through line of groove and and at the max possible level um, while doing all this complicated stuff. Um, and just like the feeling of listening to that album and that through line of not just like the stories and, and, and like the, yeah, the, how how lush how it just kept getting more and more lush with each album and 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 how like good it feels to just listen to every sound on that record yeah um but yeah i think i think it's just like the fact that they've really just mastered like i think all and and the songs like grow on you to the point that's like to me side b of that is definitely better than side b of asia and like i just oh, I, 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 lo- I love i love every song on it like the hooks are more are like so unusual and i don't know it just it just kind of has it all for me now 
it's like clearly to me the standout record at this point in my listening time um but uh yeah i don't know but then it started to over i got really into like ecm jazz and stuff and then of course it has the Jarrett song on it which is like my favorite <laughs> steely dan song so yeah um, yeah i'm also obsessed with that song i mean yeah i think because for a while i was also kind of more on the asia track but i think you helped me see the light with gaucho and, and royal scam as being like just as good if not better because I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the the thing with Asia is it's hard to know how I feel about it just because those songs were, it's like hit after hit. It's almost right. like a greatest hits. Album. Yeah. Right. That's true. So it's hard to know, but, it, and it's also just like them trying to do a hits album more. I feel like than something like the Royal scam. Yeah. Um, there's a, there's a way, a weird way in which Asia to me, like talking second side, like, Josie and I've got the news and stuff. It's like, I'm not as interested in the, like, how can we complicate the blues mm. side of like, yeah. look at this musical exercise where it's like the blue, it's a blues song, but yeah, you know? Yeah. And like, that isn't really what's going on on the, these, uh, like so much on, um, it's definitely like going on, on, on the early albums and on countdown. I prefer the way in which it's going on in countdown in really? some sense to those songs, but yeah. Um, this is like I'm just dropping sacrilege here. <laughs> no, I I love Asia. I love just not, let's, let's clarify I that. I know, but like, um, yeah, I don't know the, the gaucho chord music lyrical universe is so consistent to me, um, and inspired, and yeah, it doesn't feel like a greatest hit so. You're not, I guess there's also that not you're not overexposed to it, so the songs have more room to grow with you over time. Yeah, the appeal of the appeal of Royal Scam is like kind of the opposite of Asia and of Gaucho in a way musically, in the sense that, and that ties more into the Randy Newman thing for me maybe is it is these really it is really does feel like these little short stories and the music instead of being like this sleek thing that's like a bed for them to talk about whatever they're talking it's it's like it gets warped by the stories like mm. like the song the royal scam <laughs> and this is what i write about in that thing but yeah it's just like the the word painting of the music and the lyrics is like there it's like grotesque like you know Haitian divorce like these different styles that it mm. moves through they're kind of like a so the circus-like is, aspect to it, right. where it's like, like the royal scam is about like the weight of the world on these immigrants, like and mm-hmm. like how much like the promise of the United States, like pro- it, like turned out to be a lie, a scam, if you will. <laughs> and the the music is that that I hated. I really didn't like that song for a long time, but now I just feel like that the heaviness of it, of that groove, and like the monotony, it's like. It's like rolling a boulder up a hill type vibe. Right. It's like really like, I don't know, like the mood the and like Caves of Altamira. It's like, there's like a mystic quality to that song to me. That's like, again, like top three songs. Oh, it's my favorite on that album. Yeah. One, one that I think about a lot is that one in terms of like that horn outro and like how the band comes together in that song, how the verses are built from the choruses. That's like one I do think about a lot. Yeah. Um, but 
yeah that's just a really unique album to me the approach there and just allowing themselves to go off to these more of these corners stylistically and i and i i think maybe some of that people don't like as much because it's just not as it isn't as smooth or as pretty like it's yeah like, like bringing in larry carlton to do the guitar work that oh, he does yeah. makes a big oh, impact so yeah especially on like don't take me alive yeah he really ca- like he captures the the essence of what the writing of that album is yeah. i feel like he it's just a perfect match yeah there's a quote i forget what they told um in the don't take me alive solo or something he played on the record where yeah. there was like they'd basically like make this sound like shit like this sound like <laughs> hell or something because i think they were kind of I mean, by they, I mean, Donald and Walter were kind of like, like the relationship to guitar music is kind of interesting. Cause I feel like on yeah. some level they think it's like somewhat like, like something about like electric guitars are ridiculous to them. I think, yeah. and this is coming from their, maybe their jazz background of just being sort of purist. Right. So like, it is like a character when it comes in. It on is. Yeah. They bring in Larry Carlton. Like, I'm sure they love his like technical expertise and his like musical brain because it's, He's very advanced, but also he knows how to do that guitar thing. And he yeah. does it so well, you know, throughout. Yeah, that that is an interesting thing. I think about that with Joni Mitchell, too, using Larry Carlton. Oh, yeah. Using Skunk Baxter <laughs> on In France They Kiss on Main Street, which are, anyway, that's a whole other topic. But how, a, how the Joni albums from that period right. are related to this. That's true. That's, but, that, that could, that's, um, but like... Because I actually got into those albums, and I think you also kind of got me into um, that era of Joni. Yeah, I, I didn't really right. know that period. I only knew, like the like a lot of people, I only knew like Blue and like maybe the, some of the earlier folk stuff. But yeah. like, the part of that discography that I most loved. I mean, I've I've explored a lot of her stuff, but I really mm-hmm. love like Hissing of Summer Lawns and and Hajira and even um, Don Juan's Reckless Daughter. Like I think yeah. those are amazing albums. And yeah, that's like my favorite music ever. Maybe <laughs> even oh, maybe yeah. even over Stilly Dance, but, yeah. but like very very important records to me. But yeah, I mean, you listen to Hissing of, the song Hissing of Summer Lawns, and then you listen to Steely Dan song from this. It's like the same people, you know. It's yeah. like <laughs> that's the same. A lot of the same players yeah, and the and same aesthetic, the same vibe. And she liked Asia. I mean. She was kind of like, but her records were getting panned where, while they were getting all this acclaim, but she was like doing a, a very aesthetically similar thing and like telling stories in her songs that yeah. were not about her. But the criticism of her music was like they wanted a confessional blue right. type thing. And then she was telling these stories about like CD Hollywood romances and like you know hissing of summer lawns is, is totally like royal skimmed like the or whole song for sharon is almost a royal scam because it's you, you that, go on this yeah. kind of adventure almost yeah in the, the same way that royal scam takes you to haiti and to the caves and then back to t- new york totally it's, but like similar hissing of summer lawns like the, the cover and the whole metaphor is like the seedy thing underneath los angeles he put up a
how'd you end up writing the uh, Pitchfork review? Or you just... Well, I... Um, you were, I mean, you were writing for Pitchfork regularly at that time or no? No, I mean, I... Yeah, I guess... Uh, you know, I'm mostly a musician now. Uh, for, for years, I was working, like, freelance and at publications. And uh, I did freelance stuff for Pitchfork for on and off for some years. I was never, like, on staff there. But they... Um, at a certain point I was like kind of moving towards music and not writing stuff publicly so much. And, uh, but they said they were doing a Steely Dan day and, uh, they knew about me. <laughs> they knew that I liked them. So they kindly asked if I wanted to do it. Yeah. And it was with some of my favorite writers also doing albums that day. So like Mark Richardson and, Amanda Petrushish and Alex Papadamus, who I know you had on the show. Yeah. So it was uh, and Sasha Geffen, I believe. Yeah, it was fun. And that's kind of when people talk about this, you know, quote unquote, Danissance that's going on. That's actually people point to the day mm. that Pitchfork, because it felt like it was the day that, you know, the indie world or whatever finally made the full, you know, the, the bear <laughs> hug of yeah and and kind of because there was the famous 1.6 review of two against nature right do you know still, about this of course i know it still <laughs> sticks in my craw no i i mean I but, but we with late with a later podcast we did we actually did an unreleased episode about oh, yeah? that about two against nature so i re- revisited that um great album yeah also a great album. Yeah, I guess one of the things we were talking about, you know, exploring a band's discography, including the the bad albums, but there really aren't too many like mm. bad ones in the Steely Dan. I mean, yeah, I, I would, I w- you can't really. Yeah, I don't think any of them are bad. The <laughs> one that I don't ever listen to, I think. Can I, you guess? I I can. Yeah, and you're not alone because I think. Yeah, it's a pretty common. Can't buy a thrill. Yeah, but they're people who get really mad. They're they're can't buy a thrill people. But I think of them, they're like Pablo Honey people to me. I'm like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I I mean, it's a fun album. It's the thing about Can't Buy a Thrill is just that like, it's just that's one where thing. I feel like Don and Walt were really trying to break in to. They wanted to do something successful, like they'd been trying to break into the you know to have music success for years. And they finally got the opportunity and, you know, they had constraints that weren't going to allow them to do the kind of stuff that they were able to do on like Asia or Gaucho or the yeah. later ones. But like, they're like, all right, we got to write some good. S- I don't know. I just feel like for that one, they wanted to get in there and they did. And it's still the most listened to Steely Dan album yeah, even to yeah. this day. And, you know, it's also it's also just a classic rock album. It is. And it's great at that. But, which is not why I was yeah. ever interested in Steely Dan, you know, and it's not that I don't like plenty of like american rock bands but i just don't care about that element of it like yeah so much i i do kind of raise an eyebrow when steely dan fans say that is their favorite it's like you you're a fan of the whole thing but then still that's your favorite that's just I, sociopaths that, that i can't i can't understand that <laughs> no no I, i'm sorry listeners <laughs> it's not that i don't like the album i do i think there are some really perfect songs on that album too though i mean, I really love only a fool i think is a great song oh yeah i think that, it's just like yeah a flawless that, that is a, such an amazing song yeah anybody on the street has murder in his eyes you feel no pain and you're younger than you realize 
remember when I was kind of first getting into Steely Dan or even like Michael McDonald solo and Boz Skaggs. Mm. Um, we had to kind of joke about it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then that went away pretty quickly. That's true of so many things in my <laughs> life. It's not really normal. Like I remember one night, I think like we'd been like G-chatting or something about like Michael McDonald. And yeah. then like you and Tom came over. I don't know. We were just on that wavelength and maybe it was summer. Yeah. And um, this is when I was like subletting that weird place in like, I don't know, some weird part of Brooklyn. Oh, you were you like walked back and you walked house. back yeah. and it was just a, it was like a weirdly furnished yes. thing. And yes. I remember you and Tom came over just to hang out and you brought uh, a 12 pack of wine coolers mm. mm-hmm. and you're like, we're going to drink wine coolers and listen to Michael McDonald. Yeah. And we took it as a piece of shit. But. We took a sip of the wine coolers and we were like almost spit them out because they were so disgusting. That was really disgusting. But <laughs> They sat in my fridge for like, the entire time I lived in that apartment. <laughs> they were <laughs> like when I moved, I was literally like, Oh yeah, here are those wine coolers. I should have gotten some for today. Yeah. Um, but I think pretty quickly we like just realized it's all great music. I, I think for me, I just, I, I wouldn't get, you know, I never would get into any of that stuff on a level like that. If I, if it didn't really hit the pleasure centers in a big way, like, you know, I feel like it took me a while to kind of accept sometimes I felt, you know, what was going on with me, why I was like, like why I love that so much. And then it just really came to be, uh, but why my do life, you think? do you know? I think that, um, well, there are a bunch of reasons like that, that that aesthetic started to make sense to me and, I I I I'm a keyboard player and I always I don't feel like I have the relationship to like guitar music that a lot of people have that I especially at that time like people I was friends with growing up I I was always leaning more towards stuff that had some jazz or soul frame of reference and then like yeah piano based stuff stuff that made sense like on a keyboard like so like even though you were in an indie rock band but, at the but time. Well, I right but you know I was playing keyboard and we were doing right and but indie rock was cool to me because it could be pian- like there were so many piano based things and places that and people were drawing from jazz and avant-garde music and whatever else you know um even if there was like loud guitars involved um but that was like a period of like kind of getting fed up with that kind of quirky aesthetic and getting more into this kind of how do you make complex things sound smooth and flow and like grooves and stuff like that and that was but that was going on wider culturally then too because i feel like that was you know ariel pink round and round fleawood mac renaissance like Mm. everyone was getting tusk like that that shit was kind of going on well i wasn't like some island in this i think there was a move there was a bit towards towards um and then, you know, fucking Mac DeMarco and people that came afterwards that were kind of doing this muted, I don't know what to call it, like boxy, like even the, even chill, like chill wave. People got sick of the, the acerbicness of, the indie of rock that thing. music yeah. yeah, and dealt with it in various ways. Um, so 
I think, yeah, I think at a certain point I stopped listening to that music kind of entirely like when I was in grad school and I was more into like jazz and avant-garde and classical music because that's what I was studying. And then all this music kind of came back around and was like making sense to me in a new way and like fun to discuss. Like just, there are all, there are all sorts of other tributaries of this. Like, you remember like one of tricks and stuff was coming out at that time. Yep. Like, and like, and we were like listening to like Enya <laughs> and shit. Like, yeah. New age. <laughs> there was like a new, like these, uh, this stuff was all going on at the same time. I feel like, yeah. Uh, and, uh, just like looking back and, I, I think that was, you know, probably the first time I, I like really got into like Keith Jarrett and shit would have been around yeah. that time too. Like it was just looking for something new. And, uh, and this is what kind of led to office culture, I guess. Uh, I mean, eventually, this, but when in ball yeah. in the old band, I was writing Steely Dan informed stuff. Yeah. In ball of flame, shoot fire. Yes. Specific. Yeah. <laughs> no one cares. <laughs> but, uh, well, you yeah. never know. Uh, <laughs> The, <laughs> yeah, but then yeah, I guess office culture. There are a lot of things that contributed to that because there's a lot of electronic stuff at the beginning of that as well, which was more informed by like R and B and rap too. So these things are kind of I don't know, man. There's a lot, a lot of music out there. <laughs> but yet you still seem to be tagged with this Steely Dan thing. Yeah. Which, which you, even though you love the band and you're right now talking on a Steely Dan podcast, yeah. you don't love that, right? I don't, I don't I love wanna, that. I hear no this. one loves when somebody like at the, in the early shows for that band, and this doesn't happen anymore, thankfully early shows for that band. I remember a friend coming up and be like, Oh, you guys sound like Steely Dan. And no one likes to just be told you sound like this band. It doesn't matter mm. who the band is really. I guess there's some exceptions. If someone was like, you sound like Joni Mitchell, I'd be like, that's the highest praise. I don't know, like, but that's because I know I don't actually sound like Joni Mitchell. I don't know. It just, it seemed off. It seemed, it felt off to me. I've never really, I, I mean, I get it, but I don't think that, and even though we've spent so many hours bonding over Steely Dan and we're sitting here talking about right. Steely Dan on a podcast, I don't think you really bear that much resemblance to Steely Dan. I've never quite understood why. And maybe it's just because I'm so familiar with Steely Dan myself that I can't hear it. But I think also people are less familiar yeah. with some of the other things that do and inf have informed it more directly, like the blue Nile and prefab sprout mm. at a certain point. And also like the humor of like the early record and the way that there is humor and like kind of like ref not, there's not really reference. I guess sometimes, but like the sense of humor of it, that comes, that is not about like not coming from Steely Dan as much as it is like just the way I speak or people speak or maybe like Randy Newman, that, that thing has always been ingrained in me. So brought you back from some strange land, but in the end, you'll have no more clever lines to send. You'll drop the end. Often and suddenly I forgot to remember those letters returned to sender with no postage or codes. Ill at ease, choking under the pressure, guessing at what we can measure. We'll wonder 
falsetto stuff since I was young I, I don't know why so but then I listened back to a lot of that stuff it's like you could just put the whole thing an octave down like why are you singing up there you know like you're fucking up the whole mood of the thing um yeah because you kind of actually really have a baritone voice right yes right so it's like you were kind of embraced a that low, side bl- of low. <laughs> you embrace that getting side lower it. yeah it's getting st- lower yeah I still do falsetto stuff and I, yeah but not in the way that I used to, and I think that would contribute to some kind of idea of theatricality or irony. And, uh, yeah, that still follows me around. And I'm, you know, you can't always control how you, it's fine. And and it's true. Like a lot of stuff is in my musical DNA. It's just like when people think that serious things that are, are sort of meant to be meaningful to me are like hoping to like emotionally connect with people on a certain level, you can't control people think, but when somebody, I remember somebody wrote like sometimes people just take things the exact opposite way. Mm. It'd be like this dismal, ironic love song or whatever. And it'd be like a really sincere <laughs> like thing about like the difficulties of human relationships or something. It's like, I don't know. It, I, I wonder what's wrong with me sometimes <laughs> if, if it's coming, what's off wrong that with way. you or what's wrong with, no, I just, I just, I don't know. You're not being received as you, the way you're putting yourself out there kind of thing it's it's a stupid thing to worry about and i think that people should be able to take whatever away from it but if you're wondering about what is where the steely why i like get rubbed the wrong way with the steely dan thing it's usually coupled with some idea that the music is ironic Mm. i've seen that is the part that that's the yeah because you're you're just more i don't know sincere and vulnerable and you're and it's like music. what is the ironic like in this know. sense it's like does it mean that i don't love the aesthetic actually they're like that i don't like use these tools or chords or whatever because it's it's like a joke or you know i, I don't i don't know if yeah it, i mean certainly i understand it applied to steely dan but not to you right well that's the thing though like people i don't it's just like how are people using that word these days because to me Steely Dan is like humor right right and like irony in that sense and I guess in the scam sense of like caricaturing styles that's a kind of irony but but not that this is a joke but they loved like yeah disco music and um uh blue note jazz like the places the things that people clown in their aesthetic are coming from these like black musical sources that like it was music that they had an encyclopedic knowledge of and really loved. Yeah. Right. And there are these like little ironic gestures or something, but like they make sense as kind of musical jokes within the, within, you know, it's not like we're pranking you. I mean, maybe on some level they felt uneasy about the way that they were using black music. Like, I don't know, like some sort of appropriation. 
but I, and, I, and then it came out in these different ways, but I don't, I don't really hear it as that. No, I just, I think they just, and I, this is one of the things I relate to them the most is like most of the music that I'm inspired by, especially right now is a lot of like old soul music and art and contemporary older R and B like jazz, like all this stuff. Like I yeah. tend to want to go back to the source with it. And like, so Fagan, like talking about Ellington and like, all uh, and like the, Oliver, like the records that he really loves, and like being like Donna Summer is amazing. Like these things, it's like that sincerity is like really key to the the thing with them that I I relate to. Because if it was just all this snark, I like if I read it all as snark or irony or something, or like whatever people say about it that don't like it antiseptic yeah uh, fussy all this stuff it's like i don't i don't think that's true and i think it and i think that like the the sheens that you get aesthetically and like a lot of disco records and i don't know it's just like it's just like a misunderstanding of the thing and uh yeah i don't know maybe after gaucho they would have done a full-blown disco record because Time out of mind, and if you you probably know the second arrangement, right? Like some of those mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. demos are really yeah. leaning into that in a great way. Yeah, yeah. I think I think it's really cool how influenced a lot of different styles and people that like how disco impacted a lot of different people at that time, like Steve Reich and stuff yep. like they're just people in all corners of things who are like trying to structure their music like disco records it's just interesting to me yeah and speaking of a genre that's had a kind of re- critical reappraisal in mm-hmm. recent times yeah i was just watching some of this on a summer doc the other day which is, i guess why i was thinking about it oh well but like yeah who covered John Evangelist State of Independence? I don't know why. I great thought cover, of that, great song. That was another early like smooth. We, we used to rock out yeah. that. Yeah. What a song. Right now I'm working on new music that's really just moving in a very different direction. So I'm thinking maybe it might shake the comparisons, but I'm actually <laughs> curious, like what, like how much is there being, is there a clear Steely Dan influence going on in music right now? Or like, I, I don't know. It's so, they're very, very hard to actually imitate to me. They're too, like, but I guess maybe I'm too granular with it. Like, but I don't think that every band that's using certain kinds of chords or grooves or being complex in certain ways is that a lot of people apply Steely Dan to that. And I think that people who like Steely Dan and may be influenced by them also are people who want to go back to the roots of, what music they were influenced by and like are pursuing all these other tributaries of music. So it's like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like the steely, if you just talk about the steely Dan aesthetic, you were talking about so much music, Mm. you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. The thing that is steely Dan to me is this, these particulars of it. 
the words like maybe it's gotten so big that we don't even know what it means anymore in a way like it's just i mean no. it's a blanket term i think that's what irritates me is like <laughs> steely dan doesn't work for me as an aesthetic it, it, because mm. the aesthetic is other things and they put things together in a specific way that is in interaction with the words and everything it's like okay. one consummate package so right. if you pull the other thing away then you have jazz you have all these other things that are part of it like yeah i guess this is sort of why i can say because i'm like such a steely dan fan that the comparisons bother me not just myself but with other people there's like a band that's impossible to compare stuff to for me it's just like just i don't know just does a disservice to them i i i find i uh have the same feeling about other artists i love though too like randy newman or Joni mitchell or things where there's such specific stuff going on that makes them who they are and makes them great and people are hearing like one very specific usually aesthetic thing about them being like oh it's kind of like that it's like playing piano i know, you know? <laughs> but people who don't maybe have their own musical background or haven't done it themselves you try to pull right you try you to find things. you put you put you you want to make an analogy like that's the that's the instinct i guess on some levels to make that analogy it's x meets y i i, I find it very reductive most of the time but i understand where it comes from because no, it's like totally. you're trying to find a reference point to help you process something Yes, and that's and everyone does that. Everyone yeah. does it, but it's also annoying. <laughs> it it just depends a case yeah. by case thing. It's yeah. like it, it it can be annoying if someone is acting like an authority about. So this is part of what I don't like about music writing, or what makes me not want to be doing it so much anymore. Is just like when somebody is sort of condescending to the thing mm. and trying to be like, well, here's what it. This is what it is. And mm. This is what it's coming from, and this is how we should be. Like, as opposed to like, it reminds me of this, or it takes this. It mm. takes this aspect of like people don't really want to talk about the cocktail of things going on within a thing. To yeah. me, the Celia Dan cocktail very. It's a big cocktail. <laughs> it is, because it is such a fun. They are such a fascinating. Um, they are just kind of a fun nexus point to use to talk about music I think in general mm -hmm. because you can go in so many different directions mm -hmm. and there's so many other reference points in terms of who their influences were who they have influenced whether it's from literature or from film or from right. you know earlier jazz I don't know there's just so many there's the audiophile culture side of it there are the people who are really into kind of the the lyrics and the storytelling aspect. There are people who are into the mm -hmm. complexity of the, you know, the music and the arrangement. So there's just, it's, it's a, I, I find it. And because there's so much humor too. And because it's this thing yeah. that you can kind of, you know, make jokes about. It's just, it's kind of perfect. Yeah. It's kind of perfect to have a thing about it. I don't know. You know what? That's what I'll say in terms of things. I just think about with Steely Dan on a regular basis. I think about, the lyric, I never knew you. You were a roller skater. You're gonna show me later. Turn up the eagles. <laughs> turn up the eagles. The neighbors are listening. Yeah, such a dark, 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 dark. I don't know why it's fucked up that I think about it all the time, but it is like such a great lyric. Yeah, well, in, a, in a song that people don't think about or talk about very much. Yeah, I'm but. surprised that. I mean, people f tend to fixate on the eagles part of it. I think. 
Yeah, but there's yeah that there's this like this thing about um, yeah, just like jealousy or feel like feeling emasculated and that in those early I don't know it's just like such a it's really it is very like Randy Newman Mm. thing but I don't know what does the roller skater reference mean do you think I think it just I never knew you were like you moved around you were like I never really knew who you were Mm. like you betrayed me like roller skater is like Sleeping a metaphor. Around. Yeah, like so, okay. or just a metaphor for being like flighty and not, you know, basically this whatever the narrator not being able to like control. Mm. Yeah, that it is something about using that word or line. That whole thing is just, I don't know, dark. But they love to use. I mean, I think this is a little bit ironic. I guess is they love to use kind of the parlance of the 1970s in that kind of ironic way like also you got to think of um like dude you know Mm -hmm. like how to use this sort of what was considered like slang at the time in this yeah i guess that's a moment where it's like this it's got this ironic reference this like caustic thing but it's also and and it's like this terrible character but it's also like getting inside the psychology of someone in a couple of lines you know and so it has like a little bit of everything that they do lyrically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.